Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, welcome to the podcast series HR Inside Out. I'm your host, Susan Nay. I'm thrilled to introduce you to my dear friend and mentor, Edward E. Seymour. I discovered, luckily early, that having an individual help guide you, especially during your key developmental years, is really beneficial. Ed became that for me when I was in my career and felt really stretched beyond what I thought I was capable of. Ed believed in me, providing doses of what I now call tough love when I needed it. He's kept in touch over the many decades of our lives, even when we were not really in touch, and is someone that I continue to hold dear. He's been a good friend. We're going to talk about mentors. We're also going to talk about the creation of our personal career histories, those that evolve from the decisions that we make along the way when we say yes to opportunities and create those, at times, roads less traveled as part of our learning and our development. Ed, I'm going to start with telling a little bit about you and your history, if that's okay. Well, okay. It's a, first of all, let me say it's an absolute delight to be to be with you today and to see your voice and or to hear your voice and to see your face. Thank you very much. Excellent. And for our listeners, we're recording this on Zoom. So although you don't get to see our precious faces, we get to see each other's. <laughs> it's lovely. That's probably a blessing in my part. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to start with your history, and you have the sense of humor that you always have had. I love it. Uh, Edward E. Seymour, a prominent union educator, was born on the 30th of July, 1940, in Porta Basque, Newfoundland. He was raised in Sydney, Nova Scotia, and attended Sydney Academy prior to moving to Ontario in 1958. You have a birthday coming up, so a really happy birthday to you. Thank you. Ed received his BA in political science from the University of Waterloo in 1974. He's the author of An Illustrated History of Canadian Labor, 1800 to 1974. Uh, Also illuminating the past, brightening the future in Illustrated History, International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 353, 1903 to 2003. And the third, the Carpenters Union in Canada, looking back with pride, looking forward with vision. Ed's trade union experience dates back to 1962 when he became a member of Lodge 1246 of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. From 1970 to 1977, he was the Canadian Education and Publicity Director for the Textile Workers Union of America. And in 1977, he became a national rep for the Communication Workers of Canada, which is where we met. And I had the good fortune to be able to work with and learn from him. 
1986, Ed established Solidarity Consulting, a consulting firm for unions. He was also a partner of Resolutions Unlimited, which was established in 2000, a firm that focuses on the resolution of harassment and discrimination in the workplace. Ed has served many times on arbitration boards for a number of unions. He's married to Cynthia Tenute and currently lives in Hamilton, Ontario. Ed, a career to be very proud of. I know you made a big difference in the work that you've done and a big impact on the people who have and continue to work with you and have been blessed with your being their mentor or considered their mentor. Well, they uh, we hope so anyway, and they certainly had an impact on me. That's nice. Isn't it wonderful when it works both ways? Yes, and, it uh, sure of course, is. life does work that way, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to start with a little bit of our history, and it will okay. perhaps set the context for my first questions of you. Way back in 1978, I received a phone call asking if I'd be interested in assisting with a campaign to organize the Bell Canada operators. Um, that would be a, an organizing campaign that would eventually get them into membership with the Communication Workers of Canada. I was working as a customer service rep with BC Tel, which is now TELUS, and really involved in the telecommun Telecommunication Workers Union as a chief steward and chair of their affirmative action committee. I'd never worked as a telephone operator and I'd never assisted with a union organizing campaign. It wasn't a call I expected. I took a deep breath and I said, yes. I requested a four month leave of absence from tel BC Tel and I boarded a plane for Toronto, Ontario. I was greeted by national rep Bill Howes and whisked off to Kingston, Ontario for my very first union organizing meeting. I remember those moments as clearly as if they were yesterday. It was quite literally the first day of the beginning of the rest of my life. Those four months became four years. And through that op opportunity, I, I met you and I also met um, Bill and both of you became my strongest and um, very cherished mentors. There were two particular conversations that I remember having with you. One was when you told me that I was the only person who didn't believe in me. And I think you added, and I better, I better get, on the, <laughs> get, get on the same flight as everybody else. That quite shook me to my core. But the other, as a true demonstration of tough love, as far as I'm concerned, you called me when I was working in Manitoba and began the, began the conversation with literally, what the F are you doing? And it was like a, what the F are you doing? And of course, our listeners know what F stands for. You obviously didn't approve of a decision I'd made, and you cared enough to call me on it and to hear my reasoning. Do you remember those conversations? I remember them vividly. And uh, the first one I was bang on, and the second one wasn't my finest hour. Oh, I disagree. I disagree. Uh -huh. I <laughs> Anyways, we can continue to disagree. And for our listeners, you could just, you could begin to understand our, our friendship. Now, you shared with me about an individual who made a real difference in your life. When you were both working to support your family and you were attending school at night to further your education, you've shared with me you were frustrated and exhausted and seriously considering quitting university. Over to you to continue this story. Um. I, I was actually working full eight hour shifts, five days a week at night at Franklin Manufacturing. 
uh, which, which was a, a company that initially made refrigerators and re, uh, freezers and ultimately got onto uh, washers and dryers as well. Uh, so at night I, 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 I worked uh, at this particular time from uh, 12 o'clock at night until eight o'clock in the morning and then I would be oh. off the university during the day. And um, I think this incident happened in the third year. And if it happened on a Monday, it was a very bad day because my routine would be go would be to go into work at eight for eight o'clock Sunday night for twelve o'clock Sunday night, get off at eight o'clock um, Monday morning, be in a classroom by nine o'clock the same morning. My last class that day ended at nine o'clock, and I was back to work at midnight the same night to work until twelve o'clock. So I would like I would have literally been exhausted. Wow. And it, was, it really was just a kind of a, a casual comment to keep um, conversations going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if George had just kind of kept driving and answered, I probably wouldn't have even remembered it. Yeah. But he didn't. We're driving. It's at night. He stops the car in the middle of the street, doesn't even pull over to the side of the road, uh, puts it in park. Uh, I assume, uh, you know, I don't remember him doing it, but the dome light was on because I remember his face and he just yelling at the top of his voice don't you you are not quitting you are not quitting um everybody in the virtually everybody in the plant believes you in you they are supporting you and 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 they you know they want you to succeed so don't blow it go back and get your education you're the only you have a chance to get out of there and everybody's rooting for you. So it was that kind of conversation. It lasted a few minutes. I still remember his eyes. I mean, they were blazing, they were wow. blazing with rage, right? But wow. it's something that really made an impression. Yeah. Right? Well, and, and you kept at it, at least, um, as, you know, partially, probably as a result of his reaction. Well, certainly partly, you know, yeah. there's, there's no question about it. That, I think you've experienced the same thing. There are times in your life and you just feel like it's nothing's working mm -hmm. for you and, and, and you just don't seem to go off. And somebody just comes along at the very right moment and just gives you a little shove. And, and for many of us, that's all we need. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen that many times. And yeah. yes, I've, I've had those experiences yeah. as well. So, Really, that conversation could have impacted your staying at university and finishing your degree. And you're right, people's words to us have such significant impact as his did to you. Yeah. And yours did to me. And I just, I want to, it's, I know it's been many years since I left CWC and we've remained dear to one another. I have to acknowledge that you every year have written a lovely Christmas card full of a, um, you didn't leave a space unwritten in letter <laughs> every Christmas and, and often mostly didn't receive a response from me. Of course, you know, just too busy to keep in touch with old friends. So it's with huge gratitude that you never gave up and we've remained connected and more recently have actually reconnected through these lovely technologies available to us. But it is a reminder, you know, as you say, to others, to reach out and to let those have, who have made a difference in our lives, to just to know that. It might just be the nudge as you use the word that keeps someone going. And, you know, I think we all need reassurance that what we're doing is important and making a positive difference. Are there other people in your life 
um, to encourage you to stay the course or uh, perhaps made a difference who you would consider a mentor to yourself? Yes, just setting up, you know, this, this discussion, uh, this meeting, I got to thinking about all of them. And I came up with, uh, you know, thinking back, reflecting, I came up with about 12. Wow. And many of them, many of them, like George and, and another person whose name will come up later, Elmer Schwarzenegger, it was kind of a one-time incident. Yeah. With others, it's much longer. It's, it's years of your life, right? And, and all of them, in, and many of them, you don't really know that they're influencing you at the time mm -hmm. you have the conversation. It doesn't, it doesn't really uh, hit you until perhaps many years later and you look back on it and you say, yeah, that was a pivotal moment in my life. If you didn't say that, if she didn't say that, if they didn't do that, things would have turned out differently. Yeah. So I, I, I think those kinds of things are, are important to, to do for anybody. You know, if you see somebody, if you see somebody struggling, you know, so sometimes, it, you know, it doesn't take much. All it does is take a, time, a kind word. A yeah. person, a homeless person on the street asking you for money. You might not have the change. You might not feel comfortable opening your wallet. Just giving a, a friendly smile yeah. and, a, and a good day and good luck, sir, and I'm very sorry. Yeah. It's often enough. Kindness right? and just human compassion yeah. and caring yeah. makes it That's does exactly make right. such a difference. And yeah. then that acknowledgement. Um, of yeah. just, I know the odd time that someone's been back in touch with me and, and shared something that I said or did that made a difference to them. What a difference yeah. it makes for us, you know, even so later in our career. It makes you feel wonderful, doesn't it? It does. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and it surprises you as well, often. Yes, of you course. Know? Yeah, you never thought you had that impact. <laughs> do you see? Do you see other individuals um, still willing to take on either informal or formal role of mentor? I know that you have uh, been teaching in the university system, yeah. um, and I know some organizations have mentorship programs as part of their orientation and support. Um, and I know that you continue to, to take people under your wing and help them fly. Yeah, there's several, you know, you don't see it right away, but over, over a period of time, you see it like, like I look at, um, I look at my life experiences, you know, and what a tremendous impact, you know, different people have had, had on my life. And, and I see, I see, you know, uh, often it's, um, You know, you might, you know, often you don't get a chance to, to thank a person mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, and that's a missed opportunity. Sometimes you get an opportunity to thank a person that uh, a person's family member, a son uh, or a daughter, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and that helps too. But, but I, I see, I see young, I, I have a lot of faith in young people today. I see young people all over doing young, uh, wonderful things. Mm -hmm. You know, the young, mm -hmm. young woman from Germany, her name escapes me from now, who's involved in the bio, the environmental movement, the, the young woman who was the, uh, the poet at Joe Biden's uh, yes. inauguration, mm -hmm. you know, and there are all kinds of people in the Black Lives Matter movement, the Me yes. Too movement, yes. you know, and, 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 and they're very, very young. And they're very and, and, and they're having an impact. I mm -hmm. I honestly believe that many of those young people impacted whether uh, the fact that uh, uh, Donald Trump didn't get reelected, right? Mm -hmm. Just through yeah. their activism. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
-hmm. So those are very, very important things. And I have, yeah. I, I think they have, a, and I think they have a great impact on our, on our, uh, our lives. And I think they have a wonderful impact on our community, whether that community be the community in which we live, like Hamilton or Vancouver, mm -hmm. or whether it's our province or our, our nation. Yeah, I think. Actually, they're, they're modeling. Yeah, for others. They, they absolutely are. You know, they're, they're stepping up and, and they're showing. And, and, and they're forcing us to look at ourselves. Yes, yes. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And what, what about in your classrooms? I know that you work with a lot of students. Um, do you see mentoring happening within your classroom? Like of all, well, of all you know, I, uh, I teach education courses uh, and that. And I see it, you know, You've stood in front of many, many audiences during your lifetime doing your work. And you may be doing a seminar or whatever, and there are people in the group, and there's somebody you, you, you know, you, you don't even know perhaps, and they just stand out. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, you, you can't even put your finger on it sometimes. It's the kind of questions that they ask. You know, it's the it's the kind of insight they have when they're relating a personal experience or something like that, and they just and they just stand out. And there are, and there have been many occasions through my life that I that I've witnessed that, mm -hmm. and I still like I still can't explain it. I I can't explain it how I can identify them. I can't mm -hmm. explain how you know how it happens that you that you notice that they have something special but it's there yeah it's a and powerful. i think it's you very just... I, I think it's very important to be able to communicate to them perhaps at the end of the class what an impression they made on you hmm. you know that's a good idea not in not in front of everybody perhaps yeah. to embarrass somebody else yeah. but just take yeah. you aside you know you you know i was impressed by what you said here i hope you will continue to 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 work on what you're working on those kinds of things yeah I, and right. I, I i i absolutely it's funny i'm just recalling back one of an incidents when somebody uh, the president of bcit said something to me uh, just yeah. off the cuff and it stayed with me all these years so yes. you know we go back to you never know the impact of your words exactly uh, right and exactly that's, right yeah that's leadership you obviously this kind of, see this kind of support as beneficial, and I, I'm, obviously from your actions, you're encouraging others to do similarly. You're modeling, uh, just as the examples that you provided to us. What might be stopping people from stepping up? Um, and just because a lot of our listeners are either leaders or they're emerging leaders, you know, you've given uh, one example of something that can be done. Um, you know, that providing that positive feedback. Any other thoughts or things that you've seen work effectively in, in your years? Okay, oh yes. Um, before the pandemic, I was part of an exercise class at McMaster University. Most of the staff and volunteers are kinesiology students. Uh, they're going to be doctors, they're going to be uh, physiotherapists, they're going to work in some area of medicine or uh, or uh, science. They're brilliant. I commit, I commit with them. <laughs> I have fun with them. I tell them that there's no self-respecting graduate from any Canadian university who can come out of 
university with at least one course in Canadian studies, uh, Canadian history, women's studies, First Nations history, or people of color. I do that because I want them to have some understanding of how, they, how we as a nation got to where we are today and actually come up, and some actually come up to me later and say they've registered in such a course. Hmm. It's absolutely a delay. Some people, some of them, of course, just shy away from me because they don't, they don't know what I'm <laughs> going to say. But some of them actually do. And some hmm. of them have this wonderful kind of uh, uh, look of satisfaction on their life, on their face. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you and, and some of them, even even when they leave university, they maintain touch through the, you know, through uh, email or something yep. like that. Yep. Right? And, and, and you, can, you can see their progress and, and they tell you about their progress. And mm -hmm. it, it, it's really wonderful. It, it's actually very wonderful. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'm a, a pain in, in some cases. I don't leave them alone. <laughs> But uh, you know, and I look at the I look at that group that that generation. Uh, let me back up a bit. Tom Brokaw, uh, uh, an American broadcaster that you're probably aware of, said of the, the 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 generation that went through the depression in the Second World War as the finest generation that ever existed. I I, I agree with him on that. But this generation coming up, I believe that this generation coming up are facing many of the things that that generation faced. Mm -hmm. they, are, they, are, they are not like you and I. You and I, when we started working, we went into full-time jobs. It may not have been the best job in the world, but we worked 40 hours a week. We got decent pay and that kind of stuff. This generation is coming out to things like part-timing, unpaid internship, yeah. uh, uh, contract work and all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And many of them are coming out with immense debt. And, uh, and I think that's a shame. I think we owe that generation, this generation coming up, the same opportunities that we had when we were coming up. And that's, mm -hmm. and if, if, if nothing else, a full-time job with the ability to, um, make a, a contribution to our society like you and I had to do. Yeah, yeah. We could not have made the same contribution in our lives if we were running around trying to put two or three jobs together yeah. just to earn a living. And that's what this generation is facing. And, and, and we owe them more than that, I think. So that feedback, that support, that encouragement, that... Yeah assisting where we're able to um exactly. you know i just you know as you talk about finances i know organizations often have uh, financial guidance through their efap programs yeah. making sure that people are aware of those resources so there's actually a lot that we could um we could actually do uh, as leaders yeah. yeah and um to make the time to do that yeah yeah, and, uh, and I agree with you. It's you know, it's it's a huge challenge when I do recruitment. I get to see even, people's resumes. Yeah, you know, I I often say to students, for example, I think you know, if the government, if we sat down as a society and said, you know, rather than you have debt, if you if you will go up to a community that needs your services for two years, 
not for nothing, but at a minimal kind of wage, mm-hmm. we will we will eliminate your debt. Wow. Yeah, those are great, great ideas. That kind and, of thing. You know, I know certainly in the you know northern sections of British Columbia, huge challenge in actually yeah. in encouraging people to go and work there. Yeah. So that would sure be a win-win to. And, 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 and who knows, by going into that community, they could fall in love with that community and stay, stay there for the rest of their lives working, working in, the, in the job that they love, right? And I've often seen people who did that as a career move, who gained the experience of perhaps a position that they would not have been able to get in the Lower Mainland, you know, using yeah, this as an example. Exactly which then enabled them to, to go up the career ladder more quickly than if they'd right. not been prepared to move. So a whole bunch of really positives around that. Exactly. And I want to turn us to talking about creating our personal career histories, the second part of the, this podcast. Okay. In my book, Leadership Inside Out, Affecting Change from Within, available on Amazon if our listeners are interested, I reflect on a commencement address given to Stanford University students by Steve Jobs in 2005, and I will put a link to the transcript in the show notes. Steve explains that we can't connect the dots of our life experiences until we actually have some life under our belt. It's only then that we can see how our experiences have informed our decisions and how our decisions have determined our paths. You've lived quite a life, and I can only imagine the picture that those dots must look like for you. want to get my crayons out right now (laughs) what drew you to the labor movement to to working for the union movement for all the years of your career i it was it was a complete accident i went to work as i have already said to with a company called franklin manufacturing it was a unionized work for it was working unionized workplace i started on february the 12th 1962 the first day I was on the job, a, a man came over. When I was doing the job, it wasn't a break or anything. And he said, my name is Elmer Schwarzenbrugger, and I'm a union steward. Uh-huh. And if you have any problems, let me know. I had no idea what a union steward was. I, and that was it. You had to work there for 22 working days, and then you were in the union. Mm-hmm. On that day, he comes over and he's got a whole pile of material. And the whole pile of material is union contract, union constitution, union newsletter, and union buck. Mm-hmm. Perhaps some other stuff that I don't remember. Yeah. And then he says, I'm not, uh, I, I want you to come to the union meeting. And the union meeting comes on such and such a date. And I said, I don't believe in unions. Anybody who needs a union to keep a job doesn't deserve to have a job. Wow. And I went through all that and I'm not going, right? So mm-hmm. he left and walked away. And then on the day that the union meeting comes up, he comes over again and he starts and I go back and finally he just loses his cool. And he says, you cocky SOB. You have all the answers, don't you? And before I had a chance to answer, he said, come to the meeting, I will pick you up. Mm -hmm. And I said, I will go to the meeting and I will get there on my own. So I went to the meeting 
and we were all sworn in. There were about 40 people because I, I was part of a large hiring spree. Yeah. And there were 40 people there. And during the meeting, and Elmer was sitting with me at the meeting, by the way. He was sitting mm-hmm. right next to me. Yeah. And at the meeting, something comes up, and it's a very, oh, first of all, I'd never been at a meeting in my life. Mm-hmm. And I perceived the debate as arguing and fighting. Mm. Okay. And finally, somebody got up on some contentious issue and says, I don't think the people that were sworn in tonight should have the right to vote because mm-hmm. they don't know what the issues are. Mm-hmm. And after all, I've been through with Elmer. Mm-hmm. That was that was it. So I <laughs> shot up my hand. I shot up my hand and I was recognized and I got up, uh, up and I said, I don't have to know John Deven Baker to vote for him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't have to know you to vote for you either. Mm-hmm. I sat down and I got a round of applause. Now, as an aside, I've never voted conservative in my life, but he was the prime minister at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So anyway, um, at the end of the meeting, and that was the most important part of the meeting, of all of it, Elmer takes me and says, come, I want you to introduce you to the executive. Yeah. So he introduced me to all of the executive, and then the executive member, I think it was the president, but it might not have been, said, we, have, we play euchre among ourselves after the after the meeting and why don't you come over and you know and I said no no I won't play you I don't think I knew how to play it anyway but I sat there and and it was an interesting part of the meeting because the people who were in quotation marks fighting were now the best of buddies quite a transition yes and I and and at the end of the meeting, and I'm walking home, and I'm doing all that kind of stuff, I, like, I, I just don't understand what I saw. All I understand is I want to be a part of it. Oh. And that was, that was the beginning of my activism. Wow. That, you know? And that took you and right I, and, that's a, and that's the thing I've tried to do all my life as well. You know, I didn't realize, like, I thought he was centering me out. But what it was at the time is every steward, when somebody new came into the plant, the steward's job was to go over and yep. introduce themselves and tell them, you know, yep. we have a unit we're here to protect you, that kind yeah. of stuff. So yeah. I did that same thing many, many, many times, right, yeah. as a steward. But did it was ever, Did like, you ever get the same response as he'd, he received from I you? I never did get the same response, but I did have one occasion. When I left that company, a group of people took me out for a beer. Uh-huh. And there was one guy at the meet, at that at that table, and this would have been many years later, like six or seven years later, mm-hmm. five or six anyway. And he said, he said, Ed, the first day I was on the job, you came over and said, if you ever need help, you know, come see me. He said, I never needed help, but I never forgot either. Wow. Right. So yeah. it, it just. Like it, it was one of the it was one of the things that I used throughout my when I when I was teaching courses. Mm-hmm. It was one of the examples I used throughout my entire life of the importance of not assuming that somebody is anti-union mm. just because they say they are. <laughs> it may often it may often be they just don't know. So if you give them a little guidance and help, you may change their minds. But don't mm-hmm. give up on them. 
Yeah, right? yeah. And I think that uh, I think that's something that you can apply to any aspect of life. Don't I give agree. Up on, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And que questioning those assumptions yeah. is really yeah. critical. Yeah. But good old Elmer, I never forgot his name. I never forgot him. He well, and, and for all the people that you have impacted their lives as a steward, as a rep, uh, yeah, similarly, I'm sure. You've always been a feisty one. <laughs> that, that I remember well. Either that or dumb. No, 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 no. That's a word that would never be used to describe you. Hey, you've also always been quite the historian. So I want to take us there. When okay. I left, when I left the CWC, I remember you asking me for all my notes that I'd taken over all the years. I wasn't sure for what purpose, but trusted you. And I now see. Um, actually, I was looking at them, the picture of me at the 1976 Canadian Labor Congress Convention. I see all of those notes and many, many more in the archives at McMaster University. That must have been quite a project. And thank you, because it's important that that history, um, the history of that campaign and all the other initiatives that you've been involved in are archived and indeed part of our Canadian history and that it's not forgotten. What prompted you to do this? It wasn't something that I did deliberately. It, it, it started at university because I was working full time and going to university full time. I had no time. I had no time to sit in the library. Yeah, true. So, 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 and, and I was taking political science and history. My, my, my major was political science, but I took as many history courses as I could. Tons of essays. Yes. Tons of research. So what I would do is I would buy the books, hmm. research material, yeah. right? I've never had, except when I was a kid, I've never had a library card in my life. I, when I want a book, I buy it. And, and it started there, right? And, and, and when, I got to, when I got into the union, our, our, our mutual colleague and friend, Bill Howe, said of me one time, there was never a piece of paper that ever crossed Ed's desk that, that he threw out. <laughs> And there's a lot of truth in that. Mm. So I kept it. I, like, I kept those things. Mm. I didn't deliberately keep them to, you know, with the idea that I was going to uh, do something at the end with them. Mm. I kept them because they were good reference material to have on hand. I didn't have to go anywhere else. I, wanted, I, I was in charge of the newspaper, the, the union newspaper, publishing the union newspaper. Mm -hmm. So if I needed research material, it was right in my hands. I didn't mm -hmm. have to go anywhere. It was right there. So that's how that began. But, but by the, so, so when you go, well, I took stuff out of the garbage at the OFL, right? Just, just you know, be, throwing it out. This is good material. So mm -hmm. I, I did the same thing with you. You had a, you were a young person. You were, you were a copious note taker, as I recall. I still am. And, 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 and you had all of this material. Why would you throw all that out? Yeah, no, that's true. So I took it on. I did. I didn't really know what I was going to do with it, but I knew. I knew I was never going to throw it out, mm -hmm. right? So when, like, many years later, when I had my, you know, I had quintuple bypass surgery in two thousand nine, I had to start thinking about, you know, perhaps I'm not going to survive this operation, right? So nobody's going to take that stuff. So I just phoned up with Master, and they said, yeah, they came up and took a look at it. And uh, but they made me write all those notes that you see that yeah. are now there. I, I that's all my work, right? Yes. 
And yeah. I, and that's how that's how it ended up in the library. I wasn't going wow. to throw it out either. Right. Wow. We can't expect others to write our history. We don't give them material with which to write. Yeah, oh, that's, yeah. Right? And I recollect that there were 46 boxes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if I may say so, it looked like they never took a piece of paper out of my house. Oh, my, I was going to say, Cynthia must have been so grateful to see those. No, 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 no. <laughs> <You know? laughs> she does say I have a love affair with paper. Yeah, yeah, I think she's probably right about that. But, you know, for me, a passion that you've pursued and wow, what a product from that passion. Yeah, that's great. I'm just going to talk a little bit about those McMaster's archives in case the listeners are interested in taking a look themselves. Um, I have put a link to um, the archives in the show notes if anyone's interested, uh, and they are incredibly well organized. So what you'll find in those is reports, correspondence, photographs, publications, sound recordings, and other materials that amassed by Ed throughout his career as a union activist, a labor leader, and educator. And they're with organizations such as the International Association of Machinists, the Textile Workers Union of America, the Communication Workers of Canada, and Solidarity Consulting. Some of the materials, mostly photographs or copies from various institutions, institutions in Canada and the United States. The fond documents are of certification drives and strikes, such as Bell Canada, Edens, Gainers, and CIBC, some of the major ones, throughout the 1970s and the 80s. And there are also other documents related to unions Ed worked for as well as the United Farm Workers of America. There's material relating to the founding of the New Democratic Party, as well as photographs unrelated to labor uh, mainly with First Nations. And I'm going to take us to a different direction again. Um, I know that should be no surprise to you. You have always exhibited leadership. So I'm going to ask you the question, um, what is leadership to you? Well, first of all, I'm very surprised that I've always exuded, exuded leadership. I, I've actually never ever regarded myself as a leader. And I I must confess the one chance that I had to really demonstrate it, I failed miserably. I, I just found that I wasn't cut out for the job and, and made the decision to, uh, to extradite myself from the situation. But if I, if I were to take a stab at leadership, I, I really think it's one's ability to look at an individual's potential, mm -hmm. to try to encourage that individual to reach that potential, and to give them as much assistance in doing that as they can. And um, another quality I think a lot of leaders really don't have in my view is the ability to surround themselves with people who are of equal or superior talent and not be threatened by it. Mm. There are an awful lot of leaders out there well, I describe leadership in three different ways, I guess. One, the leaders that really don't have a lot of skills, but su supply them, uh, surround themselves with very skillful people and mm -hmm. listen to them. Mm -hmm. uh, leaders who, who uh, have no particular skills and surround themselves with people of equal, no particular <laughs> skills. And leaders who are very, very... Uh, have very many capabilities 
and surround themselves with people who are equally or even more capable. Mm. And the first and third categories, I commend both. Mm-hmm. The second one, um, not so much. You know, it's interesting because your first description of leadership is, is everything about you. It's all of what I've watched you do through your career. And it's fascinating that when I ask you about leadership, you immediately think of, and I think many people do, the big L, what I call the big L leadership, people that are yeah. in formal leadership positions. Yeah. Yeah. I, instead of the leadership that, that I encourage, which is absolutely throughout our organizations, um, people doing all of the wonderful things that you do. And yes, there's also that big L leadership and hopefully through things like these podcasts, some of our experiences, our, our failings, our, our, yeah. the things that we've done well, we can help um, by our examples, perhaps, in yeah. encouraging different leadership in the big L yeah. leadership in, yeah. The, yeah. in the current yeah. leadership. Yeah. And you know what? You would never have been asked to serve on arbitration boards if you weren't perceived as a leader. And I, again, I certainly saw you as such. Can we talk a little bit about those arbitration boards? Yeah, and, sure. and, and also in talking about the boards, um, just individuals re- responsible for the oversight of people, what they might be, what they could consider to do differently to not get to those tribunal processes, to get the matters resolved earlier than that. Well, first of all, there are some things in the labor, in the workplace that are between us are seemingly unsolvable. Hmm. And, and, and they're seemingly unsolvable because both sides kind of have their fixed opinions and, and they, despite their efforts, they can't, they can't get off that. Hmm. If you have the arbitration process, and I, I, I prefer the three-person panel, and I know it's more expensive, but on the three-person panel, you have, an, you have a, a management nominee, a union nominee, and a chairperson selected by both. Now, you've, you've been management most of your life. I've been union most of my life. Mm-hmm. I think, for example, that you and I could do a wonderful job sitting on an arbitration board sorting out some problem. Oh, absolutely. By, by a chairperson we sign, right? Mm-hmm. There are many, many wonderful arbitrators out there. I, 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 I'm going to mention one. But she she's by far not the only great one. But there was a, but I used to kid her a lot. Mm-hmm. Her name is Paula Kanoff. And Paula, I, I kidded Paula because I used to say to her, Paula, I've never sat on an arbitration board where the union won on a decision, on a written decision that you made that the union won. And she would question that. She questioned that. And I said, no, that, that's true. But her secret was is she always took the board and sent the board to the parties to see if they could consummate a settlement. Mm. To see where the where the ground, you know, where the ground was where a possible settlement could be reached. Mm-hmm. She would come back to her and say, you know, yeah, we got a we got a chance. And she would allow us to do our work. And if we needed something to get us over that last little hump, mm-hmm. and I'm willing to bet that I sat on uh, over a hundred cases with that with her alone over the years. 
Wow. And I'm willing to bet that over 90% of them were settled in that fashion. Yeah. And often that, yeah. So you, so as, as practitioners able to take a look with, with fresh eyes. If I if I can give you another example. Sure, yeah, please. We, we have a if we have we have a friend by the name of Bill Hyde. Yes. Who was the who was the vice president of Western Canada for mm-hmm. the CWC. I was teaching a course and, and they represented in Saskatchewan Sastel. Right. I represented, I went out there to do a course on arbitration and grievance handling and all that kind of stuff. And I said, Bill, I want an actual case that was held in Saskatchewan of an arbitration case. Yeah. He could only find one case because relationships between Sastown and CWC was so good. Wow. And it was a case, it was a case that was like at least 20 years old. But well, I used that's, it. That's quite a tribute to the parties. It was, it, it, it really is. Yeah. But it was about 20 years old, and I read through the case, and I didn't look at the end until I got to it. And I said, this guy's not keeping his job. And at the end, he kept his job. And I thought to myself, whatever happened to that guy? Mm -hmm. So I asked Bill at that time. I don't remember his name or anything. Mm -hmm. And Bill said he ultimately ended up being such and such in the company. Uh, like a high executive position. Mm-hmm. That man was given a second chance. Yes, yes. Despite whatever he did. And, you know, when he did whatever he did, and I long forget what uh, what happened, but what it actually was, but he was young. And like yeah. many of us, stupid and naive, <laughs> for lack of a better term, yeah. was given a second chance and turned out to be a wonderful and productive employee. Yeah, well, that whole disciplinary process is supposed to be corrective, not punitive. Yeah, so yeah, uh, I'm yeah. glad I'm glad that the individual. But we have to be open to allow the correctiveness. Yes. Right? Yes. Sometimes yes. we're not. Yeah. By the I time we get to the by the time we get to the end, the, the, the there's a lot of rancor sometimes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I've seen that too. And that's another and that's another thing about the arbitration process. If you if you actually go through the process. And each side is trying to prove its case. The person at the center of the case, by the end of it, is often destroyed. Their dignity is lessened and that kind of stuff. So if you go through the settlement process before you actually get into the hearing and can make a settlement, then you you save them all that anguish. Yes. I've I've had grievers say to me, you know, you know, I remember one guy singing the praises of, of, of the process. And, you know, I said, I hope you don't think you lost, you won. He said, oh, no, no, I didn't win. He said, I just waited 20 years to come down and give my opinion to the to higher ups. And today I got the opportunity. Well, that too. Well, yeah, just there are. Yep. You know, often we speak, but nobody's listening. Yes, yes. Right? Or yes. we may be listening, but the person who's talking to us doesn't feel that we're listening. Mm-hmm. And if we can just bridge that gap, yes. we can do an awful lot, right? Yes, yes. We can save both sides an awful lot of anguish. Yeah. 
and you don't consider yourself a leader. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, uh, part, hey. of leadership, part of leadership is being able to practice too. You know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And it does take practice. Um, and when employees are not heard uh, and management our employees as well, uh, we tend to see disengagement within our work environments and the statistics are quite awful about the level of disengagement. Yep. Any, any thoughts or insights um, just for over these years or over your years of, of practices? Um, well, I think I've already touched on a little bit, like basically a lot of time our ego gets in the way, mm -hmm. right? So basically we, 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 we've got to get back to kind of listening to, to one another. I mean, mm -hmm. like, I mean, a lot of the problems we face in society today, you know, whether it's inside the workplace or outside of the workplace are, are simply because people aren't listening to one another. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have all the answers, neither do you. No. You know, but if we sit down and we kind of hash it out, perhaps emotionally sometimes or whatever, maybe we'll come up with a better mm -hmm. solution. But, yeah, we, but yeah. we can't do that if we don't listen to one another. And I don't, I don't, I don't see it much more complicated than that. Well, and it's through those that you start to understand other things that might be going on for those individuals that, yeah. you know, that aren't necessarily work related, but we're human yeah. beings and we bring those to the work yeah. environment. Yeah. I don't know how we count. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, when we're coming into the workplace, I mean, a worker often doesn't want to share something that may be bothering them. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll, I mean, this is particularly true of a good worker and all of a sudden their, their worker has gone down the tank. You know, and but we don't know what's happening in their life. It could be a death of a child. It could be the, yeah. you know, a sick, uh, uh, a sick relative. It could be a marriage breakup. There are, there, there are tons of things that can impact a person's performance that we never get to know, and we're not going to get to know unless we delve into it a little bit, or at least search. I mean, sometimes we can't get to the answers because a person's not willing to share, but sometimes just trying to delve into it a little bit but well, you go back to the showing that you care. Yeah. You know, and, and now in labor relations, they've got the, the, uh, the duty of inquiry. Yeah. Of, of, especially when you're seeing someone start taking a, a downward tumble where they've, yeah. you know, they've not presented that way before. So, yeah. uh, it, in a way, sad that we have to have legislative processes um, encouraging yeah. us to do something that really should be uh, natural to us. Yeah. And boy, I, I know in the engagement surveys that I've conducted or been seen over the years, communication, going back to that communication, is always the one thing that people say it's not done well, it's not done effectively, and people desperately want yeah. better communication. Yeah. Conversations. Where am I going to take you next? Um, so we, we've talked about communication. What else have you seen in, in your years of working with people, both as students and as, um, as union members? Well, Susan, you, both you and I started out with limited education. I don't know how much you had, but I had grade 12. Well, I didn't even finish grade 12 in terms of getting my certificate. And both of us worked in the labor movement or, 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 or worked in the, you know, earning a living for a number of years. Mm 
-hmm. Both of us in our own way found that we didn't gain satisfaction. We weren't completely satisfied. We, we felt unfulfilled. Yeah. And both of us had the, had the opportunity to um, go back to university. But the other thing is both of us started out with full-time jobs. We didn't have to worry about putting two or three jobs together to try to, to try to earn a living. We didn't have to worry about things like contracting out uh, contracting uh, short-term assignments short-term assignments you know I've seen people during my career that 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 had 20 years with one year contracts two year contracts we didn't have to worry about that I left home two weeks shy of my 18th birthday I was a door-to-door -door magazine salesman that's the equivalent of a telemarketer mm -hmm. today right yep. Yeah, I remember asking my. It had a tremendously high turnout. For some reason, I was fairly good at it. It had a uh, tremendous amount of high turnover. Mm -hmm. And I and I happened to talk, say to my boss one day, who uh, who who for uh, I respected so much that uh, I named my first son after him. <laughs> I, I said to him, I said to him, we have a high turnover. You know, people don't last long. He said, mm -hmm. he said, Ed. Well, yeah, he, no, he didn't say that. He always called me Edward. He once told me that you were baptized Edward, so I'm calling you Edward. He said, Edward, what you have to realize is that the people we hire are people nobody else wants. Wow. Huh? That's, that's mm -hmm. pretty uh, wow. striking, isn't it? Yeah. The people we hire are people that nobody else wants. And that too resonated because, you know, when I look back, the only job that I could get was a traveling magazine salesman. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you, my mother, I left home on August the 17th, 1958. I left grade 12 in, on the end of June. My mother had me out working and looking for a job every day from July 2nd until I left on August the 17th. Wow. Okay, and nobody hired me. That his so comment must he, have must have made well, you feel. His comment must have made you feel pretty awful. Well, it doesn't make you. Well, I was successful, but well, but, but at the same time, but at the same time, you know. But you, you know, I mean, all it did is make you reflect. Mm -hmm. Yes, because you know. It suddenly becomes I can't find a job. Is to nobody wants you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. I mean, that's a big yes. difference, right? Yes. The, and that that stays in the gremlins in our head. Right? And you get and you get a full-time job, and all these people coming out to school today don't have the opportunity yeah. to walk into a full-time job like we did. Many of them mm -hmm. don't. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I certainly see that in the resumes that um, that I go through many people with advanced degrees yeah still looking for for work you know just continue yeah. through through school yeah and some of them work their entire lives that way yeah you know yeah. you know so you know i remember I, I i forget i forget who the employer was but i remember being in contact with an employer who would hire four employees at a time 
and tell them only one of them was going to make it. Ouch. Right? Yeah, yeah. And those are the kinds of things that, again, stay with us through our lives. That's right. That's of knowing right. the, you know, when you weren't, both right. when you were the most successful, right. when you weren't. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at it, there are a lot more resources available in the world today than, we're, than there were when we were starting out. So if we could get full-time jobs, surely we can provide full-time jobs for the generation coming up. All we want is security. That's all yeah. we want. That's all, that's yeah. all you ever wanted. That's what I wanted. Yeah, well, right? that's, what, that's where Maslow and his, his uh, pyramid that yes. we, need, we need to get that security piece handled yeah. before we yeah. can start rising yeah. to the other yeah. aspects of our satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. And for the, you know, for the past year and a half, the entire world, Canada included, has been through a pandemic, mm. right? Yes, yes. We have, we have seen a group of workers who were generally heretofore unnoticed, underpaid, part-time contract work called PSWs and frontline workers, who all of a sudden have become heroes. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. They, and when we look at the pandemic, their numbers, they are the ones that have, and their families who have endured facing the front lines on the work because they had no other choice but to, it's the only job they had. Mm -hmm. they, they have endured the disease themselves. They have lost family members through it. Yes. Right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And they have saved and they have protected the rest of us from yeah. experiencing the same thing. We cannot allow that group of workers to go back to the situation the way it was. Right? Yeah, I, I think we're starting to see, I know we've got, we've got a gas station that's shut down. We've got a, um, a fast food outlet that all the workers worked out or walked out. Um, the news is, has got increasing numbers of stories of people saying no more. Yeah. In Ontario, and I, you know, I try to follow it right across the nation, but I live in Ontario. So I'm closer to what's happening in Ontario, right? In Ontario, we have companies that have been given a a tremendous amount, amount of money to continue, to be able to continue. And I do have no objection to that whatsoever. Yet some of those same companies deny their employees paid time off to go to get a vaccination. There's something the matter with that picture. Thank God that right? changed in British Columbia. There was... Right? It's beginning to change in Ontario as okay. well, but not okay. until a year into the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, right? yes, yes, similarly here. More than a year. Yeah. Right? We have, you know, the, it's, just a, it's just a kind of a redistribution of, of the resources that we already had, and not mm -hmm. much of a redistribution when you think of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. how, much money, how much money do we need to be truly satisfied? Yeah. You know, do you yeah. need to be a billionaire instead of a millionaire? Yeah, and certainly when you watch the media stories, 
even even the people that have uh, the millions and the billions are not yeah. necessarily happy. Yeah. So really all of what we've talked about contributes to disengagement, a feeling yes. of not feeling valued, yes. of yes. You know, legislation coming in, but you know, not too late, but why was it, why was there such a well, delay? Well, it wasn't there before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you've offered some thoughts on what we could be doing to, to start correcting that. And I think through some of the actions that are being taken, um, I know on the North Shore in Vancouver, I saw something in the, the news that restaurants are struggling with people not wanting to work. So they're, they're having to reduce their hours. So something has to change. And this pandemic is going to be people not wanting to go back to, to working in the office. It's, um, you know, it's, it's going to be collective actions that. But you see the, 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 it won't be the first time we've seen a new way of working, right? That's so, correct. I mean, we can, like, like if, if, if the person staying home, for example, remained as productive as they were when they were actually in the office, and they're still performing satisfactorily, and they've seen the advantages of being able to do things with their children or whatever, you know, just being in their presence or whatever, right? Yep. Saving them the three hours or the two hours they're on the road every day getting back to work, if you're talking about a city like Toronto, right? Yep. And it's to, and it's to the mutual benefit of both parties, why not? Yeah, well, and we keep talking about needing to reduce our carbon footprint. That's right. That would, that would be, yeah. so lots of ideas, and I think we're at a point in time in our history that things will change. They have to change dramatically. And certainly it's my hope that that starts to positively impact on engagement. I'm just watching our time. Yeah. I, um, but you're going to add it. Tom? (laughs) (laughs) No, I hadn't intended to. So I'm going to take us now to, um, the fact that I have in my library an autographed copy of two of your books. Yeah. And I really want you, before we finish, for you to yeah. share a little bit about that journey with our listeners. Um, I know that the last book is, is something you enjoyed working on in your retirement. Yep. Can well, I- all of my books, like I've written three books in my lifetime, and they were written for organizations. Written for the first one. The first one was a series of articles I did for the... Uh, for the Textile Workers Union of America. I was asked to, I was asked to write, I, I was at the convention in, in 1972 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and my counterpart in the United States, the education publicity director down there, Michael Pollock, asked me what I thought of the convention. And I said I wasn't too happy with the convention because I didn't hear any much about Canada. And I said I thought, you know, I thought that Americans should learn a little bit more about Canadian history. Well, you know, you come up with the idea, you're, you're the one that's going to write it, right? <laughs> so one day I get a letter from, or a telephone call from Mike Pollock saying I got two pages for Canadian history. And I was working on it, but not working too fast. Uh-huh. So now he wants it by like three days. So I get it off to him. And now he wants illustrations. And I have to find illustrations. And I found them very difficult to find. 
-hmm. And every time I found one, I got a quarter, I got a copy. And that's how I ended up with my large photo collection that's in oh. Master University. That's how that's how it started, right? So that's the so then some, you know, and, and you know, I, I actually got letters from people from all over the world saying I read, I read the first six. It started out as a, we were going to do six articles and it ended up to be 24 articles. Okay. And I would get, I would get letters from people all over the world said I read, I read, uh, you know, number six. Can I get all the other ones, right? Oh. And then somebody said, I'll put it into, you know, why don't we put that into the form of the book? Oh, so the CLC put them in the form of a book. So on my bookshelf, I've got the articles and the book. Oh, right? neat! Right. So that's yeah. how that started, right? And then, and then, uh, you know, uh, Wally Majeski. I don't know if you know Wally. I do. Majeski, I remember Wally. Yeah. Right. Wally Majeski, a member of IBE W three five three. He encouraged me. He asked me if I would come in and teach history courses for his local. And then they're coming up to the 100th anniversary and the 100th anniversary. And Wally says, I want you to write the history of the 100th anniversary of our local. So I started that. So I said, I, well, I told him, if I can find the material, I'll write it. Mm -hmm. But if I can't find the material, I can't write it, right? Because mm -hmm. I didn't know what they had. Yeah. So, and Wally died, unfortunately, in the midst of the process before oh. the book was published and all that kind of stuff. So that was that. And then later on, Mike York, from the carpenters asked me to do uh, the book on the carpenters. So that's, I did that. That's how, wow. but they were, they're used as educational tools within the, uh, within their respective organizations. The, the first one is long out of print. The other two, if you go online, you can find them. Okay. And I think just I type in my name in the, just type in my name and put labor history carpenters or labor history electrical workers. Okay, perfect. And they'll Perfect. pop up. And again, on the show notes for our listeners, the actual titles of the books are um, in the show notes. So if you need that extra detail. Yeah. And before we close, any last nuggets for our, our listeners? I love nuggets. Okay. I, I think at both our ages, we found that life is an interesting journey. Yes. Right? And, I will look, and when I look back on my own, I sometimes reflect upon my sitting on a hill overlooking Sydney Harbor as mm -hmm. a teenager with no skills, no idea what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm ending my education in Nova Scotia. I have no idea where I'm going to, what I'm going to do. And I, I'm watching the ships entering and exiting the harbor and wondering if I'm ever going to get out of Sydney, Nova Scotia. And now in retrospect, I realized that the place I was very anxious to get out of has holds for me many, many fond memories. Mm -hmm. The friends I grew up with, those who are still around, alive, mm -hmm. some of them moved on like I have, you know, to other areas and I've lost contact. But those who are still in Nova Scotia, Sydney, Nova Scotia, we still maintain in contact. Mm -hmm. They, like you, get the annual Christmas card with no space to write another word. <laughs> and they likewise send one back to me. Aww. And every time I go to Nova Scotia, I connect with the, those same people. My brother either sets up a meeting where we, you know, a party where we all get together or one of my friends does, somebody mm -hmm. does. Yep. 
and we tell the same lies over and over again that we've been telling for over 60 years now. Oh, right? like you, you did of, for me of, when I came back to of our, of our memories and all <laughs> of that kind of stuff. And, but looking back, you know, I understand the impact that they had on my life. Mm. Their acceptance, their acceptance of me today. Yeah. Right? One of, you know, it was a little community, a little area of eight houses. My oldest, my just outside of Sydney, you know, just kind of, you know, about half a mile down the road, there's another bunch of houses. But right here, there's a little cluster mm -hmm. of eight houses, right? And, and our life was there. Our whole life was, was there. And, you know, life has been a good one for you well that was the beginning of it right i mean mm -hmm. i had a friend who was four years older than me and i had a friend that was four years younger than me those were my closest male friends my mother used to you know when my my the, the friend that was four years older than me was doing something i wanted to do that when a friend near four years my mother would say well why would you want to do that why why are you hanging out with? i had no anybody else to hang out for with mm -hmm. so they were very so they were very very close and the beginning of that 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 experience the fact that my mother and father for example allowed everybody that came to the door into the house nobody came to my house that didn't walk away from with something mm -hmm. they either had a you know a piece of pie that my mother baked while they were sitting in, at the table watching her, mm -hmm. right? Something out of the garden, mm -hmm. a jar of preserves. We didn't have much, but they shared what they had. And throughout my entire life, I've tried to embrace that. I've tried to do the same thing. I don't know how successful I was. I've tried throughout my entire life to accept people for what they are, for who they are, not I've to judge on the base, not to judge the basis on, of, on sex. Although in my youth, I was probably called male chauvinist pig by more women than my colleagues and virtually anybody in the world, but not to, you know, but once you mature, once you, once you realize that some of your comments are hurting people, mm -hmm. When you, when you get that kind of knowledge, you embrace the differences, mm -hmm. whether they be religious differences, whether it be ethnic differences, whether they be uh, color, gender, whatever. Yeah. You embrace those, you, ex you sit down and you converse with them as equals. You're going to come back, you're going to come away with that so enriched. Yes. You will never, ever, ever regret it. Yes. You just have to be open to it. Yes. Right? So here I am, 50, uh, you got to help me here. Say that I was sitting on that hill in 1958, 42 and 21. That's 63 years ago. Yeah. 63 years later, I have the answers to that question. <laughs> right? I think you had them a lot earlier than <laughs> But the fact of the matter is, is that at 
toward the end of my career, the end of my life, towards the end of my life. I could not have in any way foreseen where my journey would lead me. Mm. Right? Back to those dots, yes. Those dots. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when, like, we've all been discouraged. Somehow something happened that got us to do that second step, that first step. Yeah. Right? One of the things I often tell people, and I'll I'll finally shut up. No, you need to tell us before you shut up, Ed. <laughs> I know, I can't. Now, now I lost my train. Now I lost my... Oh. <laughs> I, I tell people, never give up on what you want to do. I thought about going to university, mm. back to school, yeah. for four years. For four years. Mm-hmm. I never got one credit in all of those four years. When I took the first step, I ended up with my BA. Yeah. Okay? Yep. So don't be afraid of taking the first step. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. It can't can't cause you any harm. Yep, you're right. Right? And And only... Even if you don't make it to your goal, you've learned something along the way. Yeah. Oh, I just, you know, I, a couple of years ago decided to try to get my motorcycle license. Oh, and, I and, hope it's a three-wheel motorcycle. <laughs> no. And it was a lot harder than I expected. And you know, I had a feeling of failure. I've chosen not to pursue it. But I feel very proud of myself for trying. Yeah. For actually getting, for getting the learners, for getting out on the road. And then recognizing just the, the purchase, the care and attention on top of having a vehicle is just more than I really want at this point in my life. Yeah, the safety aspect as well. That too. Yeah, yeah. I don't bounce yeah. quite as easily as I used to. Yeah. But I'm so proud of myself for trying. Yeah. And, but and you also learn from it, right? Yes, absolutely. Right? So the perfect nugget and the perfect, perfect conclusion to our time together I wish I was in Toronto or Hamilton, actually, I could say, okay, let's go for a cup of tea now. Yeah. Ed, thank you. And I'll, I'll make my way back there and we'll do that. But just a huge appreciation for your sharing, your candor, and for simply being just you, just wonderful you. I know that I'm incredibly fortunate that you came into my life when you did. And that because of who you are, you said things to me and you directed me in a way that changed the direction of my life. Well, if I did that, thank you very much. And um, we did, Bill and I didn't start out, I want to tell you this, Bill and I didn't start out saying we are going to mentor Susan, <laughs> okay? If we did it, thank you, right? But what, what, what I want you to remember, what I want you to remember is that we were, we were well into our careers. We had a lot of life experiences under our belt. You were a kid. Yeah. And you went into some pretty tough situations that we found difficult to go into. Some meetings where people weren't, 
willing to accept what you had to offer. Yeah. And you stood your ground. Yeah. And you were, and you were our equal. Thank and you. we regarded you as such. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So you have, and let me, let me say this, uh, kind of a, kind of a thing out of your book. There's one, there's a third story. And that's when you told me that you were leaving CWC. Right. Okay. And you gave, as you always did, you explained yourself. At that time, I was sorry, but you were just merely learning how to fly. Aww. And you would not soar until later. And yep. soar you did. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and thank you. Um, it is time for both of us to fly and to bring this podcast to an end. If you're interested in connecting with Ed, his contact information is on the show notes page for the podcast. We hope you found today's session interesting and helpful to listen to. And I'm going to be back again next week. I hope you'll join me again as you, you guessed it, dare to soar. It's Ed and Susan signing out. (laughs) Bye for now. Thank you, Ed, Edward. Okay. No, Ed. It's fine. Have a great day, everybody. Bye for now. You too. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review, whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangenay at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.